So last time uh, we talked about how the Orthodox Church uses the Old Testament. And so can you remember uh, any of the things that we talked about as far as where we see the Old Testament being used in the Orthodox Church most often? Feast days. Feast days. We'll talk a lot about that today. Where else? Do you remember? What service? You have the daily services. Vespers, we often see the Old Testament. In the hours, we see the Old Testament. What part of the Old Testament? Do you remember? We, do we see a lot in the hours and even in Vespers? Psalms? Exactly. So the Psalms are the most commonly used portion of the Old Testament for us. So it's very important. It's great to be able to know the Psalms forward and backward. And I think I mentioned last time that um, there's a canon in the early church that um, every bishop would know the Psalms by heart before they would be made a, a bishop. And so um, that's quite a task. But really, if you're participating in the life of the church, you just hear all of the psalms anyway. Uh, and in fact, if you're really following through the, um, the strictest, fullest services, you'd actually read the entire book of the psalms once a week. And during Great Lent, you would read the entire book of the psalms twice a week. And so if you're following the, the fullest, you know, we make... We think our services are long, but, but we cut them down to fit in a particular time. And so they actually could be much, much longer. And if we do that, we would actually read through the Psalms every single week, which is pretty amazing. So for today, um, I hope that you brought your thinking caps because you're going to be using them. <laughs> I guess Keith left his at home. Uh, I'll take that sigh. So I won't be calling on Keith at all. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to look at um, Old Testament readings, and you'll, the sheet that you have in front of you, um, there are six readings on there, and the first one we already did last week, so we're going to warm up by having kind of a reminder about where that one came from, and then for the other five, we're going to just look and see, uh, talk about each passage, what they all come from a particular feast day in the church. What feast are they read at? Why in the world do we think that we read them on that feast day? What does it say about the reading itself? What does it say about that feast day? And then we'll kind of try to guess maybe what some of the other readings are on that feast day as you kind of get to think about how the church is using these Old Testament readings. All right, so the first one from the book of Genesis Justin, why don't you go, would you read that for us? We did this one last week, but we'll kind of warm up with it. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the, the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning a second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind upon the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is their, er, is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning a third day. All right, thank you. So we did this one last week. So if you were here last week, a little bit more pressure on you. Where was, is this Old Testament reading read? Remember, it was in three places. So you have three... Do you want to say? Do you, mm-hmm. you, go ahead, Anna. You know. Pascha. Pascha on Holy Saturday. Uh huh. Um, Christmas. <laughs> Christmas slash the Nativity. nativity. Yes. Uh huh. Christmas Eve, actually, the day before. Theophany. Yes. Yes. So on and on Theophany. No thinking cap needed. Anna. Anna got it. <laughs> so it's it's Theophany of Christ. The Nativity of Christ and Pascha, that we, we have this, this great book of uh, reading from the book of Genesis. And we also read it actually on the first day of Great Lent. So four times in the uh, liturgical life of the church, at least four times, this passage is read. And so that, that must tell us that it, it's something that's very important. Um, for Theophany, it's got the water in it, right? We have the water that's there, and we have um, the Lord... Um, Theophany is that feast where we have the represent we have the revelation of God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this passage, actually, the fathers of the church see the revelation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In um, God, the Father is there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit was over the face of the waters, and God says something, and so His Word is present. So we have the Father, we have the Word, we have the Spirit all there together uh, revealed to us in this this passage. On Holy Saturday, um, we have this three days. It's the evening and morning, the third day, and we have life springing up on this third day that comes out of the chaos of the waters. And so we have life coming from the tomb on the third day. And so we have that understanding of, of this passage and also the nativity of Christ, the same one who is born of the Virgin Mary in her womb, dwells in her womb, is the same one who is then the Word of God who is creating and in, in, in the beginning with this passage in the book of Genesis. Okay, so that's just a refresher of what we talked about last week. All right, so that's the first one, nativity... Theophany, and Holy Saturday. It's actually the day before each of those feasts, the real preparation for for that feast. Okay, so now everyone really put on your thinking caps. Here we go. We have have the second reading. Milana, are you up for reading? I'm going to put this close to you. Is that okay? Okay. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tables of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his servant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Tarry here for us until we come to you again. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a cause, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, 
and the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up, and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Okay, so what great feast of the church do you think we read this passage? You said you left your thinking cap at home, Key. It was a you, it's a, exactly, exactly. So Keith is absolutely right. That this reading from the book of Exodus is on the Feast of the Transfiguration. And why, Keith, did you did you say that? <laughs> there was a mountain and there was some light. And also, who is the main person that's in this in this reading? Moses. Does Moses fit in with the Transfiguration as well? Absolutely. And so the Feast of the Transfiguration, of course, is that day. Uh, when do we celebrate the Transfiguration? What day of the year do we celebrate? Does anybody know? August the 6th. <laughs> August the 6th, we celebrate the, the Feast of the Transfiguration. On that day is the day that Christ goes on to Mount Tabor, and he goes with three of his disciples. Which three? Peter, James, and John. It's always those three when it's that, that limited group there. Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain, and Christ is transfigured before them. His clothes become shining, brilliant. They change to be uh, white, um, and the disciples fall down. They're in wonder, and when they look up, they see Moses and Elijah standing there next to Christ. And so here... We have Moses on a mountain seeing Christ, even in this Old Testament reading. We add this reading here to, so that we know this is the time at the Transfiguration. Moses sees Christ for who he is. Here on the mountain, when he goes up there to get the law, he doesn't see God in his face, but the person who gives him the law is the same person that is standing there with him on, the Mount, on Mount Tabor at Transfiguration. And so we have this, this great moment where these two events that occur in the life of Moses, really, are, are happening there with the Feast of the Transfiguration. We have this moment, Moses on the mountain, and then another moment in the life of Christ where Moses is there with Christ and, of course, with Elijah. And as Keith said, you have a lot of the same sort of um, symbolism that, that's happening there. You have the mountain, you have a, uh, a cloud, and there's kind of a voice that comes out of the cloud at the transfiguration. Um, do, you, do you remember what the voice says? It's on the trans. Yes, and then there's one difference. He says, this is my beloved son. He says that at the baptism. And then there's one thing that he adds at the transfiguration. He says, hear him, hear him. And you have that kind of a connection here too, because how do we hear God? We follow the commandments that he gave to Moses on, on the mountain. We follow the commandments that Christ gives to us from the Sermon on the Mount, 
from the mountain of Mount Tabor. So we have the same sort of, of imagery that is there. So we have the mountain, we have the cloud, we have the, the appearance of the glory of the Lord. And even it says there, look that it says, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Peter, James, and John, when they saw the light of Christ in the transfiguration, they were afraid. Just like the people of Israel looking at Moses up on the mountain with God, it's a devouring fire. That, I'm sure, made them afraid. What is Moses doing up there on the mountain, and is he going to come back? And so we have the same sort of, of understanding about what's happening with Moses, his interaction with Christ. It's that same person who he is speaking to in the cloud on the mountain. Yes? I, I can imagine the impact because, you know, they were seeing the, not a, just any old earthly fire. They were seeing the uncreated light of God. Yes. I can't even imagine. Right, and, and I'm sure that the, um, when the writer of the book of Exodus says the devouring fire, he's trying his best to explain what that must have looked like to see this unbelievable flame that's just, that's just there. And so it's really uh, quite an amazing sight. Okay, so it's transfiguration. What other readings do you think might be involved with the Feast of the Transfiguration in the Old Testament? Think about who's there. Moses is there. Okay, so I'll tell you that one of the other readings talks about Moses again. It's, it's him on the mountain again. There are two readings um, on the Feast of Transfiguration that come from Exodus. But the other one has to do with Elijah. Elijah, exactly. What does Elijah ever come across God on a mountain? Do you remember the story of Elijah? Uh, yes. Yes, Keith, your thinking cap is working so well. <laughs> this is great. The still small voice. Mo Elijah goes up into the mountain. And he goes into the cleft up there, and he, um, there's um, an earthquake, and God wasn't in the earthquake, and there was a fire, and God wasn't in the fire, and there's the still, small voice. And that's where Elijah was able to hear and, and know God. Elijah, again, didn't see God. He heard his voice. And that same person that talked to him in the still, small voice was the one who was standing there with him on Mount Tabor on the Feast of the Transfiguration. And so it's that same person. And so what this, these readings help us to understand is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God in the flesh, was already working in the Old Testament. He was the one who talked to Moses. Every time you see God talking to Moses or someone in the Scriptures, that's the Son of God. That's the Word of God. That's the words that God is speaking to His people. Same is true with Elijah. And so we have these great moments where it's the same, very same person who is working in the Old Testament is in the flesh in Jesus Christ. They're not two separate gods, two different visions. It is the same God working for the same goal, which is our salvation. He's just come in the flesh in a particular way. Okay? So, yes? Jesus, 
I won't say always, because in the New Testament, when you hear God speaking the voice, this is my beloved son, that would be the father. But when you have um, the appearances of God in the Old Testament, like the burning bush, um, like this moment with the law, like Elijah and the still small voice, those are the son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity who is revealing God to his people. Yes, it's the word of God. Okay? Good question, Nina. Thank you. Yes? There is another event with Elijah in which there was a devouring fire. That's true. That's true. Where he puts the, pours the water onto the, to the altar and, and uh, he has the fire come from heaven. Yes, that, that's, that's a wonderful reading. And that, actually, we read that one we don't read that one at um, Transfiguration. We read that one at Theophany because of the water that's involved um, in, in that story. And I think we read it at another time. I know for sure on the Feast of St. Elijah, but um, I think there's another time, but I, I can't recall at this, at this moment. But you're right, Adam. There's a devouring fire in that instance as well. Yeah. All right, so we ready to go to number three? You guys have done well so far. Kate, do you, would you be willing to read number three? Okay. <coughs> Moses brought the sons of Israel out of the Red Sea and led them into the wilderness of Sir. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water to drink. And they came to Marah and could not drink of the water of Marah, for it was bitter. Therefore, the name of that place was called Bitterness. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast it into the water, and the water was sweetened. There he established to him ordinances and judgments, and there he proved him and said, If thou wilt indeed hear the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is pleasing in his sight, and will wilt give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, no disease which I have brought upon the Egyptians will I bring upon thee, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, and they were there twelve fountains of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters, and they departed from Elam. And all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Okay. This one's probably pretty hard. Where do we read this reading? Theophany? No, although that actually... I don't think we do. But I could see... Well, why would you say that? Because of the water, yes. Because of the water, it's, it, it would be one that would be a good choice for theophany. But I, I don't think it's in the, the 12 readings for, for theophany. But that's a very good guess. It's a very good guess. The imagery is there, um, but I don't, I don't think that it is one. Water baptism? What's that? Water baptism? Baptism, no. Good, good guesses, though. The water was sweetened, so it's very sweet. 
The water was sweetened. How was the water sweetened? By putting in a tree. Uh huh. Huh? No, that's a good guess, though. Not Pentecost. Think about the tree. What else is made of a tree? The cross. Very good. Very good. You're, I, your thinking caps were kicking in. I could, I could see it. I could see it. So the Lord shows them a tree, and it's by that tree that that which is bitter, that which is, is hurtful and harmful for them, becomes something that is positive, that is sweet, that is life-giving. And so we have that same imagery in the understanding of the cross, right? It's something that looks like it is bitter. It's something that it looks like brings death. But it's something that the Lord then brings life. And so it's by this tree that he is bringing life into the world. He is bringing sweetness to our life when we attach ourselves to the cross, when we attach ourselves to the commandments of God. And that's exactly what he says. When we give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, no disease which I have brought upon the Egyptians will I bring upon thee, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And so he is talking about if we follow him, following his commandments is a way that we take up our cross to follow after him. And so when we are able to actually follow after him, we are able to have life and no longer have, have bitterness. Okay, so this is, this is the cross. This is uh, the elevation of the Holy Cross where we, we have this reading. Um, the other readings on the Feast of the Cross uh, are hard <laughs> to think about. One is from the book of Proverbs. And it talks about wisdom being the tree of life. And so Christ himself is the, tree, is the fruit of the tree of life. And so wisdom which comes from that tree is Christ. Okay, so talking about that and wisdom um, in terms of Christ being the wisdom of God is, is how that, that's interpreted. The other one is from Isaiah chapter 60, which talks about the cedars of Lebanon and talks about how they were used in the, the, the temple of God. And so that same cross is used in our entering into the temple of God. Okay. Some other imagery that's used in the Feast of the Cross, though, uh, comes from the Old Testament. I've, I've always been wondered why um, that this particular, one particular reading isn't in the, the, um, the lectionary for the Feast of the Cross. Um, Father Alex, how does the canon of the, the cross start? The rod that Moses lifted up. Exactly, the rod that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. If you remember from uh, the Old Testament with Moses, he um, is able to have, when he, every time he part, when he parts the Red Sea, right, he does this, which is the cross, the rod. And so um, he also has the, the battle um, where he has his arms outstretched and they have to hold his arms up and while his arms are, are outstretched, the, the people are winning the battle and when his arms are let down, they lose the battle and so he has to keep his arms like this. And so that, it's the imagery of the cross. And in the hymnography for the feast, 
those moments in Moses' life are actually uh, talked about in the hymnography, and so I'm a little surprised that they're not in the lectionary reading for Old Testament readings for the feast, um, but that's for people that are, that it was decided by somebody other than me. And so they look to things like the, this passage about how the cross brings us into life, brings what is that which is bitter into that which is actually sweet and good and, and holy for us. And so that, that's kind of the theme and the understanding of the cross uh, for us. Okay? All right. Okay, so number four. Number four. Anna, would you like to read that one for us? Okay. Thus saith the Lord, be glad ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you food justly, and he will reign in you the early and the latter rain as before. And the threshing floors shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will recompense you for the years that the locusts have eaten, and a canker worm and caterpillar and a palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat and be nourished, and shall be satisfied and shall praise the name of the Lord your God, and hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame, and ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and that there is none other beside me, and my people shall never be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. For upon my servants and upon my handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I, will show, and I will show dread marvels in heavens above, and signs upon the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall come upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Okay. Where is this one read? <laughs> Why does it got to be Pentecost, uh, Anna? Exactly. It, pouring out of the Spirit... And actually, um, this passage is quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2 in that, um, that first sermon where you have the Holy Spirit which descends upon the people. Uh, and so it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk. <laughs> so they thought that the people were drunk because they were, they were talking these different languages. They are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes that section. It shall come to pass in the last day, said God, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
Okay, and so he pours out his spirit upon all flesh, and you have your sons and daughters prophesying and old men dreaming dreams, and the Holy Spirit really filling the people. And right before that, though, what does it say about Israel? Read, look at that sentence there. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is none other beside me, and my people shall never be put to shame. Okay. Think about Pentecost. Remember, we kind of think about Pentecost as the start of um, the church, right? The disciples were, were told by Christ to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon them from on high, and then they go out into the world. And so at this moment, you have the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples in a very particular manner. Peter begins to preach. The fruit of that is lots of people are baptized, and then the disciples go off and establish the churches all over the world. And we are beneficiaries of that. We wouldn't have the church if not for the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost in this very particular way. But he says, I am in the midst of Israel. And there's kind of a shift here. Exactly, Adam, the church. You can take that word Israel and put church. I am in the midst of the church. And I am the Lord your God, and there is none other beside me, and my people shall never be put to shame. And so there's this understanding that the Holy Spirit, which fills the, the disciples, the apostles, on that day of Pentecost, which they, they then pass on to all, the, all of the believers, pass on to us through that great thing that we have called apostolic succession. And then we, too, are part of this great group, this Israel, this new Israel, where God is in the midst of us. And we have Icon in the church on the left side. Uh -huh. Icon, where you know, it shows this apostle thing, but that there's one man that represents all of us as a church that is kind of, you know, receiver from, you know, Holy Spirit, first baptized the apostles, and then as that one man represents everybody in the church, he is the uh, continuation of the apostles' blessing. Exactly. That person at the bottom represents the world, and the apostles coming and bringing the light into the dark world uh, is what's in that icon of Pentecost with the Holy Spirit descending and coming upon all of the disciples and the apostles there. And so it's, it's that encouragement to us to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit where God dwells and that even though there is darkness and uh, the sun turns into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is the name of the Lord? Jesus. The name of the Lord is Jesus. And he who calls upon him will be saved. We see that constantly throughout the, the, the New Testament. It is his name that is above every name. But for At, the Baptist people, that becomes so, you know, a thing to say that uh, it, does, it doesn't have to be like an orthodoxy with this preemptiveness of God. Preemptiveness of God. Preemptiveness of God. 
Holy Spirit comes to apostles and apostles bring his continuation to us, to the church. Well, they say it doesn't have to be. As long as you call on Jesus' name, we don't have to be orthodox. We don't have to have this uh, continuation like this icon suggests. We just could, you know, what it says that this is their interpretation. Mm -hmm. And we would say, you know, we as the Orthodox Church, we would say that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we know who we're calling upon. And as the, the, we would say as Orthodox Christians, we have the fullest expression of the fullest understanding of how to know who God is, so that when we call upon His name, we know that we've got the right person. We know that we are calling upon the person who is there to, to be saved. succession, or succession that, you know, the fathers before us call them that, and we are, you know, children of these fathers, so we are, you know, calling on the same name. Yes, we're calling on the same name, and when we say that name, we mean the same thing. And so we're calling upon this person, Jesus Christ, in whose name we are saved by his actions, this one who is fully God and fully man, this one who opens to us and reveals to us the Trinity, that's the person that we know who is the one to be saved. Yes, there, there's absolutely a physical connection, in fact, between us and, and the apostles. It's, that, again, that apostolic succession that we have, a physical passing down, a physical understanding, putting us into this new Israel that we have, uh, which is where we have our safety, because there God is there with us in the midst of us. And so, as Anna said, it has to be Pentecost. It had, to be, it had to be Pentecost. The other readings on, on Pentecost as well are uh, from Numbers, where there's a story of Moses, the Spirit coming upon Moses and the elders, and that's where they're given the ability to prophesy. And then in Ezekiel, the out, outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel chapter 36, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the faithful as well. Okay? All right, we've got a few more minutes, so we'll finish these last two Kind of quickly. We'll come over here and let um, Keith read. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, In the last days the mountain of the Lord shall be manifest, and the house of God shall be on the summits of the mountains. And it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall come to it. And many people shall go and say, Come, let us ascend to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will tell us his way, and we will walk in it. Okay. What feast is this reading from? The Ascension, yes. Why the Ascension? Why do you say the Ascension? It's a movement upward, the mountains. Movement upward, uh-huh, the mountains, uh-huh, yep. Come let us ascend. <laughs> Exactly. Come, let us ascend to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. Okay? And when Christ ascends, what does he say to the, to the people? What does he say to the disciples as he ascends into heaven? When our Lord ascends, what does he say? It starts with the Great Commission, which is? Go therefore to all nations, baptizing them. 
Yeah. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded him and you And I will be with, and I'm with you until the, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? And what does he say here? He will tell us his way, and we will walk in it. He tells his disciples, as Irina has told us, they tell us, and so because Christ tells them as he goes, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, same thing here. He will tell us his way. We will walk in it. That's exactly what he tells the disciples. Teach the people what I have told you. That's the way. And in fact, in, in the early church, uh, in the, the Didache, the Christian faith is called the way. Te tell us his way and we will walk in it. And so this is our opportunity to then walk in the way of the Lord and then ourselves ascend to the mountain. Ascend to the mountain. Okay? And so this is this motion, this feast is, of course, the, the ascension. Very, very good. You guys are doing excellent. All right, one more, last one, and we just have a few minutes left. Adam, you ready to read? Yes. Okay. These things that the Lord say, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you, he has cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear evil no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in, the mid in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their, their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Okay, last one. You guys have done excellent. What feast is this one from? This last one. I'm reminded of persecution here at the very end of this reading. Okay. So what does that make you think of? Last days. What the world. Okay. What feast would are you thinking of? Okay. This is keep following that that train. Perhaps not with a second coming. You know the the, the feast that we would that would be that would be um, well. No, we're, think in terms of one of the major feasts of the church, like Transfiguration, um, Pascha. Those those are the major feasts. It's not Pascha though. No, but close. No, it actually comes before Pascha. No. Where is their shouting with the king of Israel entering somewhere? 
Entry into Jerusalem. Exactly. Entry into Jerusalem. So it's this coming, Adam. I was trying to get you to think about the coming. Because uh, we don't have a feast celebrating the second coming. Although in the ascension there is kind of an understanding that he goes and he's going to come back. And so we, we kind of have that understanding. But it's this, this entry into Jerusalem. This, uh, the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear evil no more. Do not fear, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. And of course, the victory that we would expect this to be talking about, and that's what the people of Israel were, were waiting for and expecting, was a warrior on a great steed, right? Against the Romans, against what, whoever their oppressor was. But Christ reveals to them that actually it is in humility. And that's where he says there at the end, Behold, at that time I'll deal with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. Remember Christ at the very beginning of his ministry when he proclaims himself to be the Messiah. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah about how the lame will walk, the, the deaf will hear, uh, the poor will have the gospel preached to them. Uh, and he says, this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's that same sort of thing. I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. So it's that humility there. there the shame, he takes shame upon himself. Instead of riding into Jerusalem on a great stallion, a great steed of some kind, he rides into Jerusalem instead on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, it says, right? And so he changes that shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And, and he does it there in himself. And so we have the people of Israel rejoicing and exalting, Hosanna, son of David. Um, he is the king riding into the city of Jerusalem at, at that point. Okay, so we have Palm Sunday there. All right, so the Old Testament in the Orthodox Church is something that is very important. So much of the time, I think we're accused of, of not using the Old Testament very much. And we don't use it perhaps as much as, as others because we're very careful about how we read it. We always read it through the lens of Christ, through an understanding that Christ fulfills every single passage in the Old Testament. And remember, I, I mentioned last week that if you were to go through the Psalms and just choose one, you'd be able to look and find Christ in all of the Psalms. That each of the Psalms talks about Christ and is a, is a prayer in that way um, for salvation in Christ. So we read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ, through the eyes of Christ, fulfilled every word in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have um, the church using the book in that way by using it for prayer in the Psalms and the daily um, cycle of the church. And then also in these Old Testament readings on these great feast days, uh, where we have then an opening up of an understanding of how this feast day fulfills something that happens in the Old Testament that shows God, the same God was working for all time and comes forth and reveals himself most fully in Jesus Christ. And then he uh, reveals the rest to us through his church. And so we have this, this cycle that the church then uses these Old Testament readings. So always, always, always pay attention to those Old Testament readings when we, we have them uh, on those feast days. They help to open up our insights into the scripture and help us to know about those feasts. All right? 
Okay, so next week we won't have a class because we're going to be serving liturgy next week or next Wednesday night uh, for the Feast of the Presentation of Christ in the Temple. And now that I'm thinking about it, I probably should have had one of those in here uh, because there's a whole bunch of Old Testament symbolism in the Feast of the Presentation of Christ. Um, so perhaps I'll talk about that in the sermon next Wednesday. We'll, we'll see. Um, so we won't have class next time. When we, the next time we do have class, uh, we'll talk about Mary in particular in the Old Testament and the Old Testament readings that we use in order to understand who Mary is and the names uh, that we use to call Mary that come from the Old Testament and why we use them. And it's really uh, a profound thing how the church uh, looks at Mary in the Old Testament. So I'm actually really excited about that one, but that won't be for another couple of weeks. Next week we'll have liturgy and a meal afterwards, and then we'll have class after that. Well, the word, the names that the prophets use are meant to, to make sure that the person who is reading understands who this God is that they're calling on. This is the same God who is the God of Jacob. It's not a different God, but it's the same God who reminds us of what happened with our forefathers and with those who were before. And so the particular titles and, and names, just like we talked about the name of the Lord, are meant to help us to understand bring to mind a different event so that we can then understand who this God is that we're calling upon. And then the Jews themselves are called in different ways too. In each name, what do they emphasize? They say they are children of Zion. Referring, yeah, referring back to times with Moses and, and that they're connected with the people who were there. Um, on the mountain and connecting them to their ancestors and, and things like that. Yes, exactly, exactly. So it's not that that's some other God. This is the same God who's always been working with your people. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Mm -hmm.